0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: what you're about to hear is part two on my mit enterprise forum talks on media technology and political polarization how did it come to this part two and what we're covering in this one is niche media platforms and the fracturing of political public discourse so i got called back to talk about parlor as parlor got shut down um Worth noting that the slides are on the WordPress site, so ReconsiderMedia.com. You can go there and get those. And uh, you, the YouTube video of the talk uh, is out there somewhere from NR- MIT Enterprise Forum in New York. I'm going to try to post that on the show notes as well. Uh, but the deck is really the thing to kind of follow along with. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, finally, those uh, we, we've got some big patrons recently uh, who I just want to, who haven't given me permission to share their names yet. But, um, I just want to say, uh, to those of you who have, who have signed up in the past month, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're doing great stuff with your money. Um, we're staying really busy here. I'm going to have a call with the marketing team soon, um, and make sure that we keep putting it to good use. So in the meantime, enjoy this like mega, mega episode part two, uh, niche media platforms and the fracturing of public discourse.
2: January 13th in the new year, 2021. Um, And we have our first uh, MIT Enterprise Forum Community Stream of the year with Eric Fogg, who's uh, joining us from space, as you can see. <laughs> um, but we're very excited. He is actually there's a
1: time to be off planet. It's now.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll dive into that. Um, <laughs> but uh, he is actually um, a our second time uh, interviewee panelist. He's joining us for a second time today, and we're very excited to have him. Um, and for those of you who missed our first round discussion with Eric, it was just before the election in November, and it was very timely to actually have a conversation around media and um, fragmentation. And now it's, you know, mid-January, 2021, we thought the world might be calmer, but it turns out turns out maybe not. So um, we're excited to have Eric and, uh, and his experience. It's very timely. We'll dive into that. But before we do, I do want to introduce Eric to our virtual audience. So um, Eric Fogg is uh, head at Reconsider Media and co-host of the Reconsider podcast and author of Wedged, how you became a tool of the partisan political establishment and how to start thinking for yourself again. Mm. Um, he's been researching and speaking about political polarization and tribalism since 2013, long before it was cool, very true. Um, Eric has his master's in poli from MIT and spent years working with various NGOs, Harvard, MIT, the UN and various uh, private advocacy groups. And he uh, is now running a software startup. And interestingly, I found this part of your background most interesting last time, Eric. Um, Eric grew up in a very red part of Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and then moved to a very blue part of Massachusetts. And having a foot in both worlds has enabled him to see how both sides of the political spectrum caricature the other and sparked his mission to create real dialogue that cuts through the noise. So, again, very, very topical, very timely. Um, Eric, welcome back. Uh, We're glad to have you and I'll turn it over to you.
1: Thank you. I realized before I screen share, I should actually turn my notifications off for a bit. Um, if I remember how to do it. There we go. not disturb is on. Okay, cool. Um, hi, everyone. So, uh, oh, which part of Pennsylvania? So uh, from way northeast Bucks County, right by the river. Um, so very much out in the sticks. And uh, I, I, well, actually, this is a good opportunity for me to screen share. Um, so I grew up around a lot of American flags and a few Confederate flags, um, uh, and you know, and and the 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 Confederate flag folks were uh, were actually some, like in their own way some of the nicest people I knew. Um, and you know, growing up around it, like I didn't really understand why it was odd. I've now learned since then why it's odd. But um, I've been a you know, America is kind of my thing. Uh, some may say my favorite, um, I, you know, this is, this is me dressed up as Captain America on the right at Comic-Con. Um, and so this is, you know, thinking about, thinking about how to make the country better is, uh, is, is my like weird obsession. And so when I went to MIT, uh, you know, I, I actually tried to become an engineer, um, and was doing okay at it, but just fell in love with, fell back in love with political science. And so decided to get my bachelor's and master's in that instead, wrote a book, um, started a podcast, and, um, you know, like Sammy said, I was, I started, you know, I started thinking about political polarization before it was cool. And now, unfortunately, it's like, it's, it's, it's now way too cool. Um, and we want to talk a little bit about that. And of course, we were going to, we were going to talk about just like niche media platforms, which is basically like, we're going to talk about like what's parlor and why and what are the implications of Parler. Um, now, everyone knows a little bit about what's parlor and why and some of the implications of it. Um, and so, so we're, we're kind of throwing this whole, um, this whole talk for a bit of a loop um, and I'm actually going to keep the, the intro quick because so much has developed so quickly that I want to just get to like some some Q&A but I want to lay a little bit of foundation for those of you who came to the last talk I'm sorry I'm going to recap some stuff but I'm going to do it quickly because kind of what I wanted to do was say um, where did we leave off the last time we were talking about this and what's changed since then right so, um, so last time we talked about how polarization in broadcast media um, is contributing to polarization uh, in the United States, and, and how there's this like big feedback loop between those, right? So, you know, there's there's um, all sorts of ways where where we can see that, you know, it's it is obvious now that we can choose different online media um, to to tell us the version of the story that we want to hear. And therefore, deepen our echo chambers in our own brains. Um, And you know, one of the things we talked about last time was uh, how this has happened actually in cycles throughout history. Um, uh, And right now, we're in one of these cycles of fracturing, where, uh, for example, like you know, the 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 main broadcast uh, old broadcast news is dying and being replaced by uh, more niche news. you know, we already know. So, as we talk about this this fracturing thing, what we talked about last time is we already know that uh, people are self selecting. You know, people have been on social media self selecting out of dialogue with people that they disagree with. Um, it's gotten so bad that even I'm starting to just sh- shut it off because um, it's just unpleasant. Um, and uh, you know, and, and making sure that the the friends that they keep agree with them. Um, during this, you know, what we used to have this old way of making sure that everyone got a breadth of exposure was through these institutions, these clearing houses uh, that that in a lot of ways controlled what we could consume like limited our options and made sure that those options were fairly broad and there were there were like good economic, you know, when you have a small number of actors is a good economic incentive to have a pretty broad appeal and when you have a lot of actors so when the um uh uh, when you have a lot of actors um because the barrier to entry drops the uh the economic uh incentive becomes to become much more niche so rather than try to like have everyone kind of like you a little bit you get a few people to like you a lot um and you make money that way um and so so the cycle we've seen through history is is this, this fracturization um, as those barriers drop and then a consolidation. And um, what I just skipped by here was uh, was the fact that, you know on YouTube, the, the barrier is so low, right? You don't even have to have parlor, right? Which required funding, right? You can just like, you can just take pictures of, of pyramids and like put UFOs by them and boom, right? You start to look credible just like um, a documentary. And so, Not only were we able to create media, but we're able to make it look credible Um, and that gets into people's brains. So um, The consolidation phase. So the thing we left off on was this consolidation phase is starting to happen again. Right. I had I had figured we were near the end of the 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 expansion of the fracturing phase and beginning the consolidation phase. And the reason there's a the reason The reason consolidation looks like this, this is birdwatch by Twitter and it's also um, uh, Facebook's fact checkers. The reason consolidation looks like this is because the fracturing is actually happening within these platforms. Right. So it's um, You know, on Facebook, for example, it's algorithms that determine what you get access to. It's not Facebook choosing what to publish the way that the Wall Street Journal does or Fox News or Newsmax or OANN or whatever. uh it's it's just these algorithms so what does the consolidation mean the consolidation at least uh, at the beginning is tearing down some of what you can be exposed to um and just limiting kind of uh the Overton window um as much as possible or sorry as much as li- limit actually limiting the Overton uh window as little as possible and so we so we ended talking about um talking about social media companies starting to like pick off at the edges at the most extreme you know uh uh, lies deceptions you know violent rhetoric um uh you know other stuff that's already illegal to do but they're cracking down on it more um and so uh semi asked me to come today to talk a little bit about um or sorry didn't ask me today asked me months ago to talk a little bit about um the reaction to that. Because what happened was, fact checking became, like, got, uh, got into the news over the summer, Um, in particular about uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, the riots associated with that, um, you know, what is Antifa, um, and misinformation spiked. Um, Some of it got really racist. uh, And, and there was this decision in over at Facebook and Twitter that they had to get um, they had to get more aggressive. They couldn't wait until there were direct threats against individuals to take action. They wanted to start to get ahead of it. Um, uh, some of this was also just reaction to the president. Um, oh, oh yeah, sorry, and the coronavirus. The, yeah, so, so, you know, so they recognized that their platform was being used to spread information that was either leading directly to people getting hurt through people say, for example, choosing not to wear masks or could lead to people getting hurt through violent action um uh you know such as such as like people you know kind of organizing that they're going to go attack some group of people that they don't like um and i'm picking on the right wing a little bit right now but facebook and twitter were also used to organize riots, right um like the the kind of you know not uh, again most black lives matter protests were not riots but there were people who were like well this is a great opportunity to riot right and what did they use they used facebook and twitter um to organize that and um uh So as they started cracking down on that, um, in particular, conservatives got really upset by this um, because because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of uh, like a large majority of um, sorry a large minority of Republicans still believe that the election was stolen. Right. So there are some things that are just like they believe very deeply that just are nowhere close to true. Um, And so Facebook started fact checking them. And they said, Well, we're out of here. Right. And so the fracturing that was going on just algorithmically started becoming a platform fracture. Um, where a number of them went and joined Parler. Now, it wasn't that many. It was like three and a half million at its peak. Um, and so it's Parler isn't Parlor isn't like quite is not on its own quite as big as a lot of people might think. Um, and I actually think that that there were more. Wow that that the the if we look back a little bit like parlor only started to get big in mid 2020 and never really got a chance to become a dominant a, a super dominant thread as part of the national conversation obviously parlor was used to you know like it, it became a right wing a, a extremist right wing echo chamber is used to propagate um uh, false statements about the election uh a lot like you know a, a lot of violent rhetoric was on it. Planning for the Capitol riot um was on it. But it's also the case that um, uh, hashtag hang Mike Pence was trending on Twitter, right? So so uh you know, Twitter hadn't fully cracked down. Um there was still space for uh that, that kind of extremist rhetoric on Twitter if you knew how to do it. Um but Parla did become a powerful place to to you know organize what what is eventually what is what is becoming a, a potentially long-term insurrectionist movement. Um, what was going on before that was 4chan. Uh, so, if, so if people know QAnon, Q posts on 4chan. Um, and 4chan was kind of like the original place that like the, the alt-right came out of, um, and a lot of online Trump support came out of here. Um, Russia used Four Chan a lot, in addition to Facebook and Twitter, um, as part of its misinformation campaigns in uh, all three of our last election cycles, so including 2018. So 16, 18, 20. Um, uh, I, I, someone's going to ask me why isn't Four Chan been shut down, and I don't have a good answer for you. Um, so I'm just going to say that right now, because it's kinda, it's it's a disaster. Um, uh, this little logo right here was the the Donald subreddit on Reddit, right? So this is part of the the the. Intra-platform fractioning um, or fracturing that happened before the inter—you know—it got shut down, right? So, so what happened? People fled, and they just went somewhere else. Um, and so, we ended last time saying the future is a little scary. Now, it was because we were actually talking about deepfakes um, and how hard it is to keep a lid on that. Um, but you know, I don't mean to be Nostradamus here. Uh, the future ended up being even scarier, even faster than I thought. Um, because we had stuff like this, right? Um, and this 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 person with zip ties is here because you know a little bit of sympathy for the devil, I guess. This person um, who's who's planning on taking a bunch of Congress people hostage um, is here because they believe that uh, you know the the Democrats and Antifa and communists and dead Hugo Chavez's ghost were all involved in a conspiracy, um, including within Republican states. To, uh, to fake election results in order to remove a great president from power um, and that a coup has happened, right? So, so, you know, most Americans are talking about this moment being the coup, the folks that are here think the coup has already happened um, and that they're fighting against it. And that's the depth of, of misinformation that they've been dealing with for, for years and in particular the months in the latter half of 2020 that led someone to think that their best course of action Um, Was to get zip ties, hold, you know, hold some members of Congress hostage, um, maybe kill them, right, maybe try to force them to not certify the results, you know, we will find out what's going on in this person's mind because this person is, is detained. Uh, This person has been arrested, Um, and other zip tie guy has been arrested too. So we're going to learn so much more about what's going on in these people's brains, which would be really fascinating, in a morbid way, but I think also really important, um, uh, a really important um thing that we need to learn, uh, especially those of us in media, um, to be able to get a better sense of, of, you know, if we have any sense of civic duty, what are the things that we're doing wrong um, that help contribute to this? And um, you know, and so and so what we're looking at here, everyone knows that this is a watershed moment. I happen to think that this is a watershed moment that is bigger than 9-11 was. Um, I think it's gonna more fundamentally change American DNA than 9-11 did. Um in part because we have to now, you know, it's look, the United States has had enemies without forever, right? And if we didn't really have them, we were good at making them up. Um, now we have enemies within, right? So the state has some clear enemies within. Uh, this person is an enemy of the state, right? Literally attacked a building that is that that is if if there is any one building that is the state, it's the Capitol building. So the state now has enemies, meaningful enemies within. Um, who are planning more violent action. How many of them, hard to say. Um, But it's also the case that Americans have reached this point um, where we all believe we have enemies within. Um, And depending on where you sit, uh, who that enemy is is different. Um, And so I I do think that part of like the interesting conversation at this point is the whack-a-mole game um that is about to start so what we're seeing from parlor having been shut down and trump having been shut down is that you know twitter and facebook and and even aws right azure google cloud they've realized that like party is over right the days of saying look we're just the paper you can't blame us for what people like you can't blame the paper company for what people write on paper Right, you just can't. You can't sue. You cannot sue the timber company for for a book that that you don't like or a book with libel. Um, and that was always the position of these these media companies. We're not editorial boards. We are the equivalent of online paper. Those days are gone. Um, and so they're trying to get ahead of it a little bit by taking some action, modifying their policies. Um, in particular, the uh, I think man, I remember the last time someone asked, oh yeah, like what is, what is like Facebook's policy justification for fact checking? Um, and the short version is they didn't have one. It's not a violation of policy to, to post something that's incorrect. It's why they put a fact check rather than shutting these people down. Um, but you know, stuff like, stuff like organizing, uh, you know, like planning to take Congress people hostage is an obvious violation. Um, and, and, and it's not that, they changed their policy about that. It's that they said okay we need to get more serious about enforcing it because enforcing it turns out is really hard because lots of people use your platform and what are you going to do send you know like how many fact checkers do you need how many people are you going to pay to try to police this um but what um and so what's what's about to begin is a combination of silicon valley trying to get ahead of this um and uh congress racing behind like you know I, know, I know like Congress has a reputation for moving slowly, you will see that, um, you will see how fast Congress can move over the next few weeks and months um, in order to try to, in order to try to get out of this. And and turns out like fearing for your life is a very motivating thing. Um, and so Congress is going to be pressing, uh, you know, pr- like pressing these, these companies to, to take further action, to continue to play whack-a-mole and the reason I'm calling it whack-a-mole is Parlor is a great example of why this is a game of whack-a-mole. Um, and this is really this is this is where the talk gets interesting. This is where there's like new content. Um, this is a game of whack-a-mole because when you're Twi- you know, everyone uses Twitter and Facebook, right? And so you, you know, and so you start fact-checking and you start like kicking people off because they've been violent or because they've like, you know, they they're encouraging racism and and other things that are violations of your terms. And so, what do they do? They go find some other platform that doesn't have these controls. right? They say, like, well, I want to be racist, um, and Parla doesn't have these controls. We're going to go over here. It was, it was already conservative-friendly. It was founded by a conservative, funded by conservatives, um, uh, who believe, you know, who believe like, uh, and and to what extent, you know, are the founders and supporters like? just big on free speech like, you know, I I don't agree with what you say, but I'll die to defend your right to say it versus how much are they, you know, like, hey, what's being said on parlor is great. I don't know. Um, And it kind of doesn't matter because it's sort of just like a law of economics at this point that if there's a low barrier to entry for people to be able to go build something that makes money, it will happen. Right. And it turns out that uh, it turns out that that like, you know, web software um, and the ability to, to, to distribute it has, uh, has been that low barrier. It's why we have the you know the original fracturization of, um, of broadcast media platforms, uh, because these barriers dropped. And it's why something like Parler can pop up. And something else like Parler will pop up again. Um, now, it won't be just like Parler. It will be something new that we didn't anticipate, um, such as the nature of innovation in a free market. Um, and so what's always happening is that, is that like Congress and even Silicon Valley can only close the barn door after a few horses have gotten out. Um, and they'll keep some of those horses in there for a while but then like basically uh, this analogy is falling apart but then like a new barn door pops up or something, right? And then it opens. Um, and so, you know, is there gonna be another parlor? Not quite because they're gonna catch it sooner, right? So like the next social media platform that starts to become a place that people are organizing insurrection um, they're gonna catch sooner, it's gonna get shut down. And so what will happen is that the people who really wanna do that, who have that impulse, actually will stop looking to apps that are, that are gatekept by, or gatekept by um, Apple and Google, right, because what's happened, those have become those clearing houses, right? So like, used to be the Wall Street Journal, it's now the effing Apple store, um, or Apple App Store. That is the clearinghouse um, for this stuff. So again, that's why I was like, okay, consolidation is happening. But there's enough pressure, I think, this is me speculating. um, Everything else I'm pretty confident about, this is me speculating. There is enough pressure from all the things that have gone into this. And basically at this point, it's just lies that have gone into this, that have made people so mad um, that they're gonna continue to look for new and creative ways to be able to congregate, discuss, plan. Um, the FBI is going to have a hell of a time over the next four years, and uh, you know, so, so will we'll Silicon Valley in Congress. Um, and that's going to be the whack-a-mole game. We don't know what mole is going to pop up next. Is the point? Um, interestingly, the so I read this book uh, back at MIT as part of one of my master's classes. Um, uh, what's really cool about having gone to MIT was uh, you see this guy on the left, General David H. Petraeus, kind of a big deal. Um, you know, one of one of like Mattis, he's one of those warrior monks. Um, Steve, his son, was in my class, um, so we were both 'o nine. So I got to meet the general a few times, um, and I never quite got to chat with him about counterinsurgency. But like knowing him a little bit, um, I got I got to know a little bit about what his um, what his thought process is like, and um, and ultimately the. So why did I bring this up? Because I I want to think about the path out. Because you can play whack a mole all day, and the moles will keep popping up. Like that's how the game works. What is the path out? The path out is ultimately a counterinsurgency, um, which is weird to say, but like here we are, right? Um, and that counterinsurgency um, it involves uh, normally it would just involve propaganda. But the thing about the way broadcast media has changed is that nobody listens to stuff they don't want to listen to anymore. They don't have to. Right? Because they have so many options, right? So you turn on the TV and someone's like, hey, maybe Biden won the election. Someone's like, eh, right? Um, don't wanna hear it. So you can't do broadcast propaganda anymore. Um, and so what it actually does is it limits your options. Um, and ultimately uh, my, my memory for, from this, cause I did not reread this whole thing cause it's like yay thick. Um, but my memory from this is that like the only viable strategy is starvation. Um, and that was the primary strategy attempted by the United States in Afghanistan. It wasn't trying to convert the Taliban, right? They're too far gone, they're hopeless, right? And and again, they won't listen to us anyway, so what do they care? Um, it was to convert regular people over to uh, the side of the government to deny aid and succor to the Taliban and starve the Taliban. Um, and Uh, Interestingly, I happen to think that's a pretty good model for um, how the Ku Klux Klan was turned from a major force in American politics and society into a joke. Um, Similarly, you know, like, again, so so my point is, like, we've seen this before, we've seen this work in other places, starvation seems to be the primary strategy to being able to put down an insurgency in the United States, um, and just kind of hope that time sorts it out. And that the next generation looks back and goes like, "Me, those people like I don't want to be like them um, and, and that we can all move on to some new terrible crisis. So um, that's, the, uh, that's that's the audiovisual portion of our show today. Um, Sami and I talked about a few like uh, a few concepts that we might cover, but um, uh, I guess I took a little longer than I planned. but um, uh, but whatever's whatever's on the table, I know some questions popped up as well. happy to, happy to take a shot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Thanks, Eric. That was uh, definitely a great recap and good introduction for, you know, everything that's been going on. And uh, I, I don't know, I hesitate to say anything except the fact that, you know, the, the pace of everything that's been happening, um, it just seems more and more frenetic to me, at least personally, you know, I think, um, you know, given our audience, we also want to touch on a little bit of the role of technology and um, how these platforms, and as you were referencing, you know, it is becoming an interesting world where if you want to be a content creator, you most certainly can, right? It's almost like anybody with access to a computer and the internet can, can create their own content. And, you know, you will probably get some followers either way. (laughs) Um, And I think that's that's an interesting angle to explore too. But yes, we have actually had some audience questions come in already. And so I I actually wanna start there. Um, uh, So I'm just gonna go in order and uh, thank you all for participating as always. Um, I think our first one is actually more of a comment maybe from Ravi, thanks Ravi. Mm -hmm. Ravi says, um, we have always had irresponsible media and partisan media. I remember this being referenced on uh, the book, American Giant, about the Mm Jacksonian era. Isn't this the root of the problem which has been amplified by social media? Um, And then he posted a link to an Atlantic article, which looks very interesting. I'm sure we can share that. um,
0: Yeah.
2: But yeah, that's a a great comment. Um, What do you think, Eric?
1: So I... I, uh... I wish I had uh, this was this was part of the part of my old deck that I dropped that I wish I would brought up because there's this great image that we had. um, The last time we covered it of the yellow media right it was literally this like devil like throwing out stuff like the media like print media in the United States probably caused the Spanish American war right, and it was one editor who had a financial stake in it that like kicked this off. Um, And so. Um, and so, yeah, one of the things I want to be clear on is I don't want to imply that like everything was just kind of like hunky dory forever, right? And then suddenly it got bad. Um, and that was actually like that was basically the thesis of the last talk for those who remember is that we just go in these cycles. Um, and so, uh, and so, one of the to to recap at least my position on this is the consolidation, the most recent consolidation phase peaked. Um, in kind of like the 40s and 50s. Um, the Walter Cronkite era, right? Everyone watched Walter Cronkite. Um, it was the era, it was an era of good feelings. Uh, it was known as the Great American Consensus. Um, it's not a coincidence that there were three places you could get TV news, right? Um, it's not a coincidence that there were a couple big papers and there was your local paper. Very limited media options. Um, and so the, uh, and the consolidation effort that that led to that um, actually was bred by the irresponsibility of yellow journalism uh, because what was happening was that basically people got fed up with not being able to trust what they read anymore. Um, and so the, the newspapers that dominated, that came out of this, the Times, the Tribune, um, you know, the Sun, um, uh, they, what they did was they actually voluntarily adopted industry-wide journalistic standards and said this is how we're going to do things we're going to commit to it Um, and they ended up gaining market share that way Um, and those journalistic standards applied to the abc nbc cbs uh news networks um but certainly before before that it was a disaster the the kind of like hopeful note in this cycle is that it was like it was it was like Capitalist consumer economic demand for better journalistic standards that drove it. It wasn't. It wasn't government action. Um, Now to some extent there was some threat of government action um, regarding regarding some of the yellow journalism. Um, There were a lot of libel suits. Uh, There was also like you know there there was some incitement to violence Um, that you know we're dealing with now, not on a scale, or at least not of this some. It could have you know it, it, other violence in the past has been bigger. It's just not literally been in the U.S. Capitol, and um, so anyway, long story short, uh, uh, is is like when Rabbi asks, "Isn't this the root of the problem?" It's not the root. It's somewhere down the trunk, but like the root keeps going. Right? You can you can keep digging. What do I think is the root of the problem? I think the root of the problem is like this combination of human psychology and um, how technology, how like, and and the like the dynamic rather than the static way that technology impacts economics or economic incentives, and and do I think we're doomed to always have this up and down wave of like consolidation and you know bad angle of it is kind of sense, like limitation of the number of perspectives that you can have. This is why people were so excited about the internet, right? They're like, oh my God, we can learn so much about each other and we'll all love each other at the end, right? Um, like, just like those of us who are like older than 30, just like remember how hopeful the internet was, right? And, and you know, no wonder we're all so cynical because because it's it couldn't have gone worse from that perspective. Um, uh, but the root, so I think the root is just like there's this there's this like static human psychology and this tendency to to economically collapse into a few sources that are like moderated and you know expose you to a few different points of view, basically close the Overton window, right for better and worse. And then there's a fracturing which opens the Overton window right back up for better and worse. Um, and that is that just gonna keep happening forever? Totally.
2: I mean, I think one of the bigger sort of thematic takeaways I'm gaining as I get older too is sort of the cyclical nature of everything. You know, maybe we're we're seeing we live through a few different parts of maybe a larger cycle, and this is where we are today. <laughs> um, and yeah, suffice to say in my lifetime I did not think I would experience many things, including a pandemic or you know a siege of the Capitol building. But here we are. You know, so yeah, we're in this part of the cycle. Um, so we do have a couple more questions from the audience, and, and some are I'm grouping them together if they are thematically similar. Um, the first one, uh, first couple actually, are about censorship, um, free speech, uh, something that we you and I discussed, you know, talking about anyway. So this is a good, good theme to start off on. Um, so it actually t- this one ties back into your first presentation, Eric. But uh, our our questioner asks, back in the day when clearinghouses and publishers were being established, were there also a lot of people complaining about censorship um, as there are today?
1: (laughs) Absolutely, right? Um, And a lot of it is, um, now. and the hard part is like looking back in history, it's hard to get a sense of like, what was the true zeitgeist at the time? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, In part because the common man didn't have a platform. Right, so like people will be able to look back and and say like oh you know like we can even you know like like think a hundred years from now during this age of during this new age of probably accelerating consolidation, um, you know oh we can even look back and like we can run a quick algorithm and see like and just see what portion of the population was complaining about censorship at any given time and goes beep right and get a really good pulse on what people think we actually don't know so much what people thought a hundred years ago, right? Which is weird, but it's true. And so, but do we know that a lot of outlets were complaining about censorship? Yes, they were the ones being shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, and so, can you? And and so, is that actually an indicator that people had a problem that that Americans had a problem with the censorship, or just the people who weren't making money anymore had a problem with it? It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, and I, I I know it's a dis, it's a it's an unsatisfying answer, but it's all we can know, mm-hmm. right? So anything else would just be speculation. Um, however. I know from more recent history, like of, uh, you know, I know, I know, yeah, from more recent history, like, like in the '90s when like conservative talk show hosts would get kicked off for saying something like, again, it was the '90s, so it had to be like super racist, um, or, or you know, inciting violence of some sort, say against, um, uh, for example, after like Ruby Ridge and Waco, um, it was uh, Janet Reno. Uh, people were talking about doing bad things to her, um, and these guys would get kicked off. Um, and so, you know, and, and of course people complained about censorship then. Um, so it's,
2: uh, it's that time of the year, your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
0: Burrow's Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash acast. That's burrow.com slash acast. Burrow.com slash acast. Uh,
1: maybe the maybe a, a question I want to answer is: will people always complain about censorship during an age of consolidation? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Now, is it it is like the interesting thing about censorship is um and and people who know me really well is i actually kind of lean libertarian and so so like so believe me when i like b- believe me when i say um i don't i do not like censorship right i super don't um it's a very dangerous power to give the state sure. it has to be very very tightly constrained mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i actually see uh one of gordon's questions about insurrection maybe we can use this as a segue um it has to be very, very tightly constrained, or else it becomes control of thought uh, by the state, right? And, and the, the, the whole point of like why you don't want the state to control thought is like, well, then the people in charge are, you know, get to just get to just reinforce what you think to like them, right? Um, which, of course, the president's tried to do for the last four years. Uh, and so is censorship necessarily bad? It always has some bad. Um, I think, and this is this, so I'm getting into my opinion rather than like reality. Um, I think it always has been, bad, um, but it's been, um, introducing censorship through various means, either through government or through, uh, corporations has been, um, you know, has, has been a constant throughout kind of world history. Um, and, and one of the ways we can think about non-government censorship. Um, is just consequences,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So we can take away the word, you know, so for example, like parlor getting shut down, um, uh, it's just consequences and economic incentives, right? So why, like, why is AWS so publicly making sure that people know they're not hosting parlor? Because they want to make money, mm-hmm. right? And so like the court of public opinion is really ruling, um, but is that censorship, right? Probably not um, because, because you know, companies just do the things that are going to make them money. and. Similarly, with the consolidation um, of better journalistic standards, the government didn't force it, mm-hmm. right? Certain companies adopted journalistic standards, and more people bought those newspapers, um, and people bought fewer of the other newspapers. So, um, so is that really censorship? In a way, yes, mm-hmm. because the result is that fewer perspectives can get out there. Yeah. Um, but is it censorship in the same way that you know, like the government won't let you? Say bad things against the government, like this isn't. You know, we're not. We're not talking about like communist China um, or all sorts of other places where, like, oh, like, like one thing we know is that for all of for all of everything Donald Trump wanted to do, he had absolutely zero power to stop people from saying bad things about him. Yeah. Stop anyone from saying bad things about him, whether it was a regular citizen, or someone in his own party, or Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter, right? Everyone could say bad things about him. Um, uh, which I think is like a triumph of our nation, right? It's just, its like I think it's a—I think it's a great thing that that um, the government's powers and sponsorships are very, very limited. Um, so anyway, that's a—it's a much longer answer. Um, the key point being, I want to make sure we're thinking about—we use the word censorship. I'm using the word censorship very broadly, um, but the sort of like bad form of censorship versus like what is just a shift in the market um, and like what consumers want to consume. Right. Um, uh, and, and there's a third thing, which is not just what consumers want to consume, but like, but consumers holding corporations to ethical standards, right? So shutting down parlors is a lot like saying, we're not going to use coal powered electricity anymore. We're not going to, you know, buy stuff from, from suppliers who might have slave labor as part of their supply chain and, and all sorts of other ethical stuff like that to make sure consumers are happy. Um, that's a like third form of censorship, which is like, which is neither. And, and uh, how, and, and so all I'll ask is that people like, it is it, it, like, br- you know, appreciate the nuance of like different forms that this t- takes
2: place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's not a a straightforward issue to begin with. There's so many, you know, variables. And I think you're, I'm uh, very interested in this interplay now between, you know, economic incentive, as you say, and basically, you know, what are the people demanding? And in a country like the US where we live, right, basically that wins out, right? Demand. People cater to the demand Mm -hmm. (laughs) of the majority. Um, And on one hand, I'm pretty, I'm hopeful that the majority of people will demand the quote unquote saying thing, <laughs> but you know, it's uh, yeah, I, I think again, to echo back to your point earlier about the internet too, yeah, I think uh, there are many complicated sides to humanity and we have only probably seen um, a bit of all of that as it, you know, appears. Uh, we've discovered that humanity is maybe not um, gonna hold hands and sing Kumbaya all the time. So, <laughs> um, okay. Um, So a couple more questions have trickled in. Um, This is great, thank you all again for your engagement. Um, So I'm gonna actually skip around a little bit um, Mm -hmm. instead of going strictly in chronological order. Um, There's a lot more questions about censorship, so we might jump back to that topic. But in the meantime, uh, interesting question from anonymous. Um, Would a solution um, and I, I think they mean solution to all the various problems we have been talking about. But would a solution be a social media platform that charges a fee?
1: Great Inter- question. Yeah. Um, I actually want to bolt on one of Gordon's questions too, which yeah. is how easy or difficult is it to create a new social media platform such as yeah. Parler? Yeah. Um, uh, because these things these together really well. So, short version, um, short version is it's trivial to build one. Mm. Like, like, yeah. You know, someone a, a I know a lot of people who could build one in the garage. The hard part is getting getting adoption. Right. Um, building an app is easy, getting the app out there is hard. Um, but you know, like many, like many things, if enough people build a parlor, you know, one of them will catch. It's it's kind of like YouTube videos and other stuff, like virality is is the is the mechanism here. And like what's the initial seed? If you like try to build an equation, what's the initial seed for virality? Who knows? But like once something picks up some steam, if it's got a good coefficient on it, it's going to whoop. Yeah. Um, and that will happen eventually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the whack-a-mole will continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can you solve this by, and, and one of the reasons I want to bring that up first is that can you solve this by building a social media platform that charges a fee? I think the answer is no for a couple reasons. But I think the, the biggest reason is that it's virality coefficient would be terrible. Right? Mm-hmm. Because nobody would want to use it. It's like, oh, I want to, you know, I got to spend, I mean, even if it's a dollar a month, right, it, it um, c- you know, consumer behavior in, like, different contexts is actually really weird. It's one of the hard things about microeconomics is that, is that, like, there are contexts in which we're, like, I will spend $2,000 on this rock,
0: yeah. right,
1: that's shiny, but I won't spend a dollar a month to have, you know, on The Guardian to make sure I have good news, um, or, or news I like, really. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, so I think the hard part about having a paid social media platform is um, uh, is it, just that that nobody would do it. But let's just say people did do it. Would it help? Um, I actually think my my first gut impression, totally speculating here, is that if you had a paid social media platform, it would it would fundamentally limit the number of people who use it, and therefore make it a better niche platform. And therefore, you're gonna you're gonna get something that's kind of like an echo chamber um because because like if you've got a group of people that are like we want our own social media platform for ourselves right which happened with parlor and we're happy to pay for it to keep the riffraff out um then you have an echo chamber yeah. and it might be an elite echo chamber right it might be like a bunch of kind of like wealthy silicon valley types who are all like man aren't we smart <laughs> right and isn't elon musk great yeah. right and all that good stuff and and like and that'll be their little echo chamber and are they going to incite rebellion no um, but but is it gonna be more of an echo chambery problem rather than exposing them to different points of view? Um, and I think that's that's ultimately the hard part is I think, maybe this is like something fundamental about human, psych- well, I, I think it is fundamental about human psychology. Everyone wants to have eaten, to have spent all their life up till now, like working out every day and having eaten broccoli, but nobody wants to work out and eat broccoli today. Right. And then similarly, everyone wants a world Where we are exposed to different points of view and all this stuff, but nobody's gonna do it because it's a different part of the brain that's activated at that time. Um, And we talked about this in the last talk the type one versus type two brain, right? That like impulse thing of like whether you hit like on something, right? You're not gonna hit like on the thing you disagree with. You just don't do it, right? And you can't depend on people to do it. You can depend on them not to. Um, And that's the really hard part about how do we get people exposed to stuff that challenges them. When, when our natural inclination is not, is to reject stuff that challenges us, yeah. right? And the context in which we accept stuff that challenges us are either when it's from a trusted source, like mm-hmm. my mom. Mm-hmm. So my mom's like, Eric, you should think about that, right? I'm yeah. more likely to think about it. Um, or when I have to. So when my CEO says, Eric, you should think about that, well, I have to think about that, so I'm gonna. Uh-huh. Uh, but like when some like rando schmo on Facebook says, hey, you know, maybe the election was stolen, you've lost me. Right. I don't care what what the next sentence is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Right. And maybe there's something to it. Right. I, you know, like or some other election, maybe there will be something to it. Right. But like, you know, my brain is going like ah, crying wolf again. Yeah. Um, and so I will never read the next sentence. I'll just keep scrolling and move on to the next thing. I'll be like, there's a dog dancing right now. I'm now I'm engaged. Yeah. So I think that's that's the hard part. I don't have a good solution.
2: Right, yeah, I mean, I think, I think. you know, fundamentally, we as humans, we like to be comfortable, right? Um, and we like to uh, not feel pain. And so those two things, you know, going hand in hand means that uh, a few people, I think, will go out of their way to do those things voluntarily um, on a regular basis. Um, that being said, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, another interesting question. Uh, oh, actually, I do want to flag one thing. Uh, Mark says there are paid social media platforms through Slack, so, you know, it's, I'd be interested, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the sort of data out of something like that and the usage out of something like that comes out to be. I don't know if you know, Eric, but, no. Well,
1: Slack, Slack is free, Slack is free forever if you don't mind 30 days of history being gone, or past 30 days of history being gone, um, I don't know how much Slack has been adopted as a like rando social media thing. What is cool about Slack is that whether you're using the free or paid version, it's like invite only, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, so so your echo chamber is at least is at least deliberately constructed. And most of the echo chambers are good echo chambers. They're companies, mm-hmm. right? So they're companies who like have a united mission, right, and a goal. And so the big echo chamber is like win 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 win, right? Yeah. Let's like let's like work together and do really well. Great great place to have an echo chamber. So. Um Mark makes a great point. There there are there are there are it's it's less about the paid and more about the like exclusivity, the invite-only thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um uh but it's certainly not a good way to get exposure to new points of view.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um okay. Uh so uh this is interesting. Can you clarify, Eric, your thesis on the way out of this mess um to starve it out? And I, I think this is something you mentioned in your in your presentation, but Starving it out. The last topic about, you know, insurrections. I think it was, or in, yeah, you know, counterinsurgency. Um, yeah, can you expand on that a little bit more?
1: Yep. yep. Um, and I just typed an answer to Mark's uh, Mark Oh, So great.
2: Um,
1: uh, so yeah, the the uh, I don't have a particularly well well articulated answer even in my mind. Um, so the starvation, um, the starvation, start starving. You know, with the Taliban, what you're actually starving the Taliban for is material resources because they have to keep soldiers in the field, Mm -hmm. right? Those guys gotta eat, they need ammo. um, And so they need money. Where do they get money? They're not the state, right? So what do they do? They occupy territory and tax people and pretend to be a state. um, And so you deny them territory Mm -hmm. so that they can't tax people. Mm -hmm. You deny them um, productive resources. So deny them the poppy fields Mm -hmm. and you deny them um, donors, right? By saying like, don't donate to the Taliban. They're bad, Mm -hmm. right? Look at all these people they killed. Right. Um. And so, if you deny them enough of these material resources, Mm -hmm. they starve. They become irrelevant. Yeah. Um. And then easily defeated by the army. Mm -hmm. Um. And so. You know, what we ideally want in the United States is not to be in a wartime mentality. There are, I mean, there are going to be, like right now, like the DC is like going bananas on arresting people. um, And there will probably be hundreds and hundreds by the time they're done. Um, And so, and and that is certainly part of counterinsurgency is like the active insurgents have to be contained in some way. So you you take the people running around with guns, shooting things, you put them in prison. They can't hurt stuff. But, But the idea of insurgency is that there's an ideological, Driver yeah. that keeps insurgents coming out, right? So you can't, like, you cannot kill your way out of an insurgency. Um, is is part of Petraeus's position, and so you have to start it. So what does starting look like in the United States? We're not actually fighting a war, um, and and as much as you know, look, I know, like, I don't want to be too hard on people sensationalizing this, but it's not a war yet, um, and it's not close to war yet. What it is 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 um, you you have like. Well, I mean, what it is, it's insurrection. Um, there was an insurrection, and you now have a lot of people who have checked out of the system, right? Don't believe in the democratic system anymore. They don't believe elections are secure. And, and, um, and so their position is, actually, I remember, I've said this before, and I'm now starting to eat my words, but I've, I've said the following. There are four boxes to use in the defense of liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, soap, ballot, jury, ammo, using that order. Okay. Right. And all of us gun nuts have have had this fantasy that like, oh, the time guns come into play against the government is when the government becomes a tyranny and the people as this united block, the people rise up. Right. And the, the reason this fantasy is wrong isn't that like I know a lot of people like there's no way the American, you know, the American people can be- defeat-, defeat the U.S. Army. It's like, look, dude, if Viet- if like the Vietnamese and the Afghanis could do it, we have a lot more people we can do. it. Right, so so if the United if the American people were united against the federal government, um, it, it, the federal government wouldn't stand a chance, right? It should be it should be very one sided. So so but but so there's a different reason. It's a fantasy. The reason it's a fantasy is the United the American people will never be united, right? This is what we've learned. Is like both like everyone agrees there's a coup going on, but everyone disagrees on who's launching the coup. Yeah. Um, and so that's the but anyway that's the hard part. So you have um so how do you starve the group of extremists who are contemplating, who have reached the point where they think, you know, along this line of boxes, that ammo box is the last one they have left because their liberty is at stake because Donald Trump totally won the election. How do you starve them? Um, that's, the, you know, that's obviously the group who you have to go after. Um, the way you, ultimately, the way you starve them is, I think, um, the same way that the KKK was starved. So you take everyone who's not there and you get, Credible, trusted sources to uh, to say that they're crazy um, or that the president is is bad, right? So I think, for example, one way to starve the insurrection um, would be for like you know Sasse and Murkowski and Graham and Romney and McConnell to get together, get enough Republicans to vote to convict the president and convict the president. And what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of people that go like, holy freaking smokes. Um, this is serious Uh, in in a way that like they're enabling of him in the past and they're they're kind of like brushing off his comments right Um, in the past fueled the insurrection Um, having credible sources you know having the number of people who support this position the number of like public voices who support this position shrink and shrink and shrink is a way to starve the insurrection because the people the people, like the people that were going after, are the ones that believe the election was stolen, but are not taking up arms. They've not gone that far yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, let's say that, like through the right kind of messaging from these trusted sources, Fox News, you know, Mitch McConnell, etc., um, uh, the number of voices saying, "Look, this is a crazy town," has just become overwhelming. You get normal conservatives to say, "You know what? Biden actually won, and Trump probably shouldn't have sent a mob at the Capitol um, to try to kill Mike Pence." and mm-hmm um uh and the starvation comes through social pressure Mm -hmm. so when it is like uncouth to do something Mm -hmm. people stop doing it real fast right so like this applies to haircuts okay right like people won't have people will not wear a haircut that is uncouth or like if i wore a kkk patch through san francisco i would fear for my life
0: yeah
1: Uh but um, but, but even if I didn't, I would just get heckled and screamed at all the time yeah. and I would be like, okay, not going to do that. Right. I might even believe it, but like, okay, not going to do that. Now, of course, there's been a lot of attempts by liberals to shame conservatives and it backfires. Mm-hmm. What conservatives need is conservatives shaming conservatives. Again, people that they trust, mm-hmm. um, people that they look up to,
2: right,
1: shaming them. And yeah. and they're going to have this moment of like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't. And, and so, you know, the way that starvation pattern happens is. Is trusted leaders shame normal conservatives. Normal conservatives shame kind of the radicals, um, and everyone who's on the fence, yeah. right? So, it, so when someone like on social media is like, "I'm gonna storm the Capitol," like if all of his friends go, like, "What is wrong with you, you idiot?" Right? Like, what a lame yee thing to do um they're less likely to do it rather than other people's sto- rather than people their friend groups stoking their fantasy and that's exactly so that's the i know this is a long explanation but that's the point of starvation it's starving people's like starving their motivation starving yeah. their social uh reinforcement
2: yeah yeah i think i mean yeah i definitely as a as of course not oh so uh as a brain and cogs i major um back in the day i think you know, from a psychological perspective, yeah, like getting to people's motivations and why they do certain things. I think that's a pretty powerful reinforcer of whatever kinds of behaviors manifest, right? So um, yeah, definitely an interesting point. And uh, perhaps uh, we can make insurrection uncool again, or, you know, whatever whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. I think that that network effect too of, you know, Reinforcing certain ideas or not is definitely powerful. Um, so, so we are already in our last few minutes. But I do want to bring up one more, one last question that maybe. Okay, I you
1: can answer quick this time.
2: Oh yeah, no, we love it, Eric. Yeah, no, if people can stay on, you know, we'll keep it going for like, a little bit past. Here. I can't. <laughs> okay, yeah. so because we have a hard stop, um, last thought on maybe happy having it wrap all together. Mm. Danielle says. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, documentation? So, how social media platforms overlap with documentation of government statements, um, and how they are archived? So, so maybe let's make it a little bit broader and say, uh, is there any, you know, can you see any benefit possibly to having some of this uh, history of the, let's say, crazy statements um, documented on a public platform? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing to take it away? What do you think?
1: Sure. Um, so. I uh, absolutely guarantee there are archives of everything posted on social media all the time. Um, the people with those archives are the NSA and the FBI. Mm-hmm. So it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be used as evidence against you. So um, so everyone who, like, everyone who like posted on parlor, like I'm gonna storm the Capitol, right? Like that will cut, you know, like there's gonna be a prosecutor who holds that up. It's like, remember the part where you said you're gonna storm the Capitol and capture Nancy Pelosi and then you tried, you're toast, right? Um, now in terms of, so that stuff is is backed up um i'm i'm almost i'm almost certain that like news organizations such as the washington post have probably archived all of president trump's tweets as well mm-hmm. um and so in terms of archives for research um is it going to be out there if it's if it's important almost certainly right mm-hmm. is anyone in charge of that enough to guarantee it no um but is it going to be out there almost certainly um cuz it's a trivial thing it's a tri- trivial trivial like one line script and And, like floppy disk to contain the text that is President Trump's tweets. So yeah. don't worry about that. Um, in terms of like kind of public record for um, you know for for changing kind of mass opinion, I happen to think it doesn't matter. Um, again, because like nobody nobody is going to it's like it's like eating like turbo broccoli, right? Nobody's going to go like, I need to be educated on everything Donald Trump said, and I don't like him right the people who really like him they've already read all of his tweets um and uh them reading again is gonna help probably not but the people who don't like donald trump like they're not gonna eat broccoli to the level of going like i am going to read everything donald trump said in order to be able to better be able to understand my fellow american who thinks that the election has been so um so i think i think from that perspective unfortunately it's irrelevant Mm -hmm. um Uh, Just again, because of the same human psychology, like the part of our brain that interfaces with social media is so, it's the elephant rather than the rider, right? Um, So I happen to think it's gonna be relevant. I've got to run, but I want to invite everyone who's still on the line. Please go to the Facebook or LinkedIn post with this. Um, And there were some great questions that we didn't get to because I am super verbose. Please, um, if if you want them answered, please at me, So at Eric Fogg, E-R-I-K space F-O-G-G on the LinkedIn, you know, in a thread on the LinkedIn and the Facebook post. And I will reply sometime in the next few days um, to your question, because some of these are super good. I'm bummed we didn't get to them. Um, And uh, I'd love to, you know, you'd be able to pin me on public record about a few things as well.
2: Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, everybody, for your engagement. This was fantastic. We may have to do a part three. We'll see where we go from here. But, uh, Eric, as always, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Absolute ball. And, yeah. And thank you all for your time and have a great night, everyone. Thank yes, you. Yes. Have too. a great
1: night. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Uh, and, uh, don't commit insurrection. It'll bite you in the butt. Yeah, exactly. All right.